following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Well, there's a psalm in the Bible that stands out from all of the rest. And the reason that it stands out from the rest is because it is much, much, much longer than all of the rest of them. Now, the psalms, which are the, essentially the hymnal of ancient Israel, that contain prayers and songs and poems, they're generally uh, each about as long as your average English poem, maybe 15 or 20 lines. Um, you know, some are longer and some are shorter, but for the most part, you can sit down and read them in one sitting. Um, and many of you have uh, done the thing where you read one psalm per day. I did that a couple years ago. Very easy to read one psalm per day. You just get up and look at it on your phone instead of checking Facebook. Uh, and it's over in just like a minute, and you've, um, you can check off a box. I don't encourage box checking, as, as you know, as a, a, a way of measuring your spiritual life. But you can, you can read a psalm literally in bed before you uh, have to get up to start your day. Uh, and you can do that for about 118 days. <laughs> but when you get to Psalm 119... You cannot do it in, in, in that same amount of time. Psalm 119 is much, much, much longer than the others. And there's some interesting things about the structure of Psalm 119 that we don't need to go into right now. Um, but uh, it's, it's so long, in fact, it has 176 verses in this psalm. Now, I have read Psalm 119, but as is the case when you read something that long, by the time you get to the end of it, you are not paying as close attention as you were when you started at least I'm not. Maybe you're better than I am in that way and many others. But um, for me, when I have read Psalm 119, apparently I never noticed what 176 said because when, a couple weeks ago, Psalm 119, 176 came up as a prayer, uh, as part of a prayer in the prayer book that I was using, it stopped me in my tracks. And I had never noticed the um, significance of this verse and how it just sort of caught me differently. Here's what Psalm 119, 176 says. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek out your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. Now, the reason this is interesting to me is because the whole point of Psalm 119, at great length, is to declare how good God's law is, how good his decrees are, how righteous and trustworthy God is, how confident the psalmist is in all that God offers, how he meditates on God's law when he wakes up and when he goes to bed and all the times in between. It's a very confident psalm. And the ending is, it's a little bit sheepish. Ah, yes, thank you. <laughs> I have gone astray like a lost sheep. What a weird thing to say after this very long meditation on the beauty of God's word and his decrees. But isn't that just the way we all are? You who are uh, people of faith, you know, don't you, that, that we have in us the capacity to talk and talk and pray and pray and sing and sing and read and read and do all the things and do all the things that we're supposed to do. But at the end of it all, realize that we still feel a little bit lost. Have you ever had that experience? Even if you're not a religious person at all, 
Don't we all sometimes feel a sense of bewilderment and confusion that the, the life that we thought we knew just doesn't make sense in the same way that it once did? Don't we all sometimes find that we have been going about the business of our life, the daily grind, the day-to-day, the wake-up, the go-to-sleep, the rinse and repeat, and suddenly we look up and we realize that we are lost. We have not been paying attention and we have gone off the road. We're like a lost sheep that has gone astray. It's interesting that this uh, is the particular metaphor that the psalmist chooses for that state of disorientation and disconnection. Um, the idea of tending sheep and of uh, the way sheep behave and all of that kind of stuff is, is mostly foreign to us, isn't it? Uh, I mean, Avila was here this morning. She's really into fiber arts. So she actually knows a little bit about sheep. But most of us don't really get this sheep and shepherd stuff. My main source of information, for example, about what it's like to be a shepherd and uh, the way sheep behave is a Twitter account. Right? Who's familiar with the Herdy Shepherd Twitter account? Right? This is a, a shepherd from the UK. He's a shepherd. His family has been shepherds for generations. And here you, he posts pictures and stories about his flock. Right? Here's a beautiful one with this black sheep, all kind of matted and wet and wind-blown. And it says, I lost my mum. <laughs> and then this bloke grabbed me and took me back to her. Now, that is a terrible British accent, but after all, it's a sheep. <laughs> and they don't really talk. So... Uh, this is the kind of thing that the Herdy Shepherd posts, and this is about the extent of my knowledge about sheeps. But, uh, sheeps, see what I mean? <laughs> um, would you like to see another picture of a sheep? I have another picture of a sheep here. Uh, isn't that a cute sheep? Look at that sheep! It's a little white sheep. She's got some hay in her mouth. She talks with her mouth full. Oh, man. Uh, But although this life, uh, the life of a shepherd and his sheep, or her sheep, is foreign to most of us, you have to remember that the the people of the Old Testament era were nomads. They were a nomadic people, and they traveled everywhere with flocks. And so while the imagery of sheep and shepherds may be uh, sort of opaque to us, it may not communicate well to us, the people of Israel would have found this kind of language very powerful and compelling. It would have been a wonderful, poignant metaphor. And so it's used in Scripture a lot. In fact, one of the central images for God in the Scriptures, particularly in the Old Testament, is that of a shepherd. It's hinted at at the end of Psalm 119, if you can make it that far. The, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. It's uh, quite famously front and center in Psalm 23, easily the most famous Psalm in all of the Bible, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And by the way, at least in the uh, Septuagint, the Greek translation of that old Hebrew psalm, the word shepherd is in fact a verb. The Lord shepherds me, I shall not be in want. And, I, and much like the, uh, the grammatical shift from third person to second person in Psalm 23, that, that verb form of the, of the word shepherd just makes it seem like God is so much more personal. God shepherds me. You can find the shepherd metaphor in lots of other psalms as well. But I would like to take a look briefly at a passage from a different part of the Hebrew Scriptures, from one of the prophets of Israel. And uh, it's from Ezekiel, chapter 34. 
And uh, if you'd like to look it up, you can. It's on page 702 in these red Bibles, and you can find it in your own Bibles if you brought one. I do encourage you to, to bring a Bible and read it. Um, and the reason I want to choose this is not just because it gives us this beautiful picture of God as a shepherd, but because it, it sort of fills in the blanks for us. It explains to us what it means to be a shepherd uh, by way of saying God is going to do these things for his flock, his people. And so for those of us who don't get the shepherd thing very much, we, we get to see what it means here. Uh, Ezekiel thirty four eleven through 16. For thus says the Lord God, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As shepherds seek out their flocks when they are among their scattered sheep, so I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places to which they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the watercourses and in all the inhabited parts of the land. I will feed them with good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel shall be their pasture. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and they shall feed on rich pasture in the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed. And I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. But the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them with justice. Now, at the end of that passage, you can clearly see there's something bigger going on here. This is a prophet, uh, Ezekiel, addressing some type of corruption within the people of Israel. And that is important to keep in mind, although it is not the purpose of where I want to go today. The purpose today is just to show you that picture of God as a shepherd. In fact, displacing all the bad shepherds who are not doing their job, but coming in and being the people's true shepherd. And this is what a shepherd does. A shepherd protects the flock and feeds the flock and gives it water, cleans it, takes care of it. This is the picture that we get from the Bible of who God is. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord shepherds me. I shall not want. I've gone astray like a lost sheep. But God is a shepherd who seeks the lost and who brings back those who have strayed. Now, isn't that a beautiful picture of who God is? During this Eastertide season, we're focusing on the ways in which the gospel, that is, the grand message of God, is beautiful. So much of the way we talk about our own story is, it, well, it can be downright ugly, but even at best it seems very clinical. Do this so that you get this result, that kind of thing. And it's such a terrible shame because the, the story is in fact quite beautiful. We started this last week when I gave an Easter Sunday message entitled Good News and Bad News, talking about the ways that our gospel ought to be good news and the way we talk about it sometimes seems like it's bad news. And uh, it's not often that I say this, but if you weren't here last week and you don't already subscribe to our podcast, I would encourage you to go and listen to that particular message. Um, you can get it on our website or you can subscribe to Artists and Church in uh, your podcast app or on iTunes, whatever you do. 
The reason is, there's two reasons. The first is that um, it really does set the table for everything that we're going to talk about in this series and the next one. And so it would be good for us to have this as a, a common uh, vocabulary, sort of foundation for what we're going to think about. But the second reason is that um, for, for whatever reason, I have received more feedback, more positive, deep, emotional, responsive type of feedback to that sermon than any sermon I have ever given. Um, and I don't uh, claim to know exactly why that is, but it seems like it connected with people, and so at the, the risk of sounding like I'm doing self-promotion here, um, that would be another reason why you might want to listen to it. But we're talking about how the gospel is beautiful, and this image of God as a shepherd certainly fits the bill. But in order to connect that idea to the Christian gospel, we need to turn to Jesus. And so I want to do that now, and the way I want to do that is by looking at the gospel of John. As a church, we've been for a few years now going through the gospel of John in pieces. We'll do a few weeks here and there. We haven't done anything in a while. Uh, We'll get back to it soon, like uh, late summer or late spring, early summer. Um, But you may remember where we left off in John was John 10 and 11, and the College of Preachers gave two sermons on these two chapters talking about the voice and the gate. You remember these sermons? Colleen and Wade preached them if you were here then. Um, one of the things that's tucked into that, that chapter 10 of John is Jesus saying the following, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Now for us, a couple of thousand years removed, this seems like um, an important but not particularly controversial thing for Jesus to have said. Especially as Gentiles, most of us, and especially as Christians or people who've been steeped in a Christian culture, most of us, for Jesus to say, I'm the good shepherd, I know my own, my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, is, is not that controversial. But to his hearers, I think this would have been quite controversial. I think it would have been, as a matter of fact, scandalous for him to have said those words. Because when you know the whole story of the Jewish scriptures, as his listeners that day would have known, you see that Jesus is closely identifying himself with God here. In fact, too closely identifying himself with God for the comfort of the uh, religious gatekeepers. Jesus is saying, remember, without saying it, he's saying, remember how God spoke through the prophet Ezekiel saying, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. Remember Yahweh, the God of Israel, saying that? I am the good shepherd. This is not something that is okay for him to say. And sure enough, you only have to go a few paragraphs down in this chapter before you see the people picking up rocks to stone him and to carry out the uh, sentence of death for the religious crime of blasphemy. He goes a little further and he says, I and the Father are one. Um, But it's all of a piece here. But before you can even get to that point, I want to ask you to notice something else that he says, which might seem to be a bit of a uh, provocative turn uh, from this already controversial statement. What Jesus says about being a good shepherd is that the ultimate role of the good shepherd is to lay down his life 
for the sheep. Which I don't actually think is true about being a shepherd. Again, uh, I just follow that one Twitter account. But I don't think shepherds actually do die for sheep very often. I imagine the shepherds that were listening to him that day were like, I don't remember that from the handbook. I think I need to talk to HR. (laughs) I know that there's a certain level of risk involved in being a shepherd, uh, but I'm not going to take a bullet for a sheep. Okay? But that is, of course, exactly what Jesus does. Because that's exactly who Jesus is. The good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. The Lord shepherds me. I shall not want. I have gone astray like lost sheep. But God is a shepherd who seeks the lost and who brings back those who have strayed. The Lord, Jesus, is my shepherd. He shepherds me. I shall not want because He is God. And He laid down His life for lost sheep just like you and just like me. Now that in itself would, I hope, be enough to qualify for our series. That would make the cut as beautiful. That is a beautiful gospel. But the story has a twist. The twist comes when you start to look at some of the uh, Jewish scriptures and compare them to what we believe about Jesus on the basis of the Christian scriptures and the tradition of the church. What we see is this truly beautiful kind of blending of these two streams of faith into one thing. If you look back at Isaiah 53, which is... uh, one of the prophetic writings. This is a messianic prophecy. Isaiah 53, 6 and 7 say this. Now pay attention to what happens here. It's not all on the screen, so just listen to this. All we like sheep have gone astray. Sounds familiar, right? We have all turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on Him, that is the Messiah, the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and He was afflicted, yet He did not open His mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. So you see, my sermon title this morning, The Sheep and the Shepherd, has a double meaning. The first and more obvious of the meanings is this. We are the sheep. Jesus is our shepherd. The sheep and the shepherd. But the less obvious meaning is this. Jesus is both the sheep and the shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. And he is the lamb that has led to slaughter. Did you notice the, the, the juxtaposition of these two ideas of sheepiness in this text, Isaiah 53? It starts out, as we would expect, with the sheep representing us. All of us have gone astray. We are all like lost sheep. Psalm 119, 176. But it transitioned and it's sort of sneaky if you don't look at it to see it. By the end of that little passage, it's Jesus 
who is being led to slaughter like a lamb without opening his mouth, like a sheep before his shearers. Now that juxtaposition is not accidental. This is, this is beautiful prophetic poetry that has stood the test of centuries, okay? It's not a mistake. That's a, it's a, a literary device, <laughs> that parallelism there. The Messiah is like a sheep, meaning he is meek and gentle. He is led off to slaughter silently. This is what I was saying last week, and I've said before, and I'll say it again, that Jesus answers all the sin of the world, not with violence in return, but with love and forgiveness, with meekness, with a willingness to empty himself. That's one way that the Messiah is like a sheep. But the Messiah is also like a sheep in that he is one of us. Having taken on this flesh and blood that is so fragile, that is so prone to pain and loss, that is so capable of straying into failure of all kinds. That is what Jesus took on himself in the Incarnation. And one of the great and beautiful mysteries of the gospel is that because Jesus identified with us, even to the point of a death, we are therefore able to identify with him even to the point of resurrection and life. Theologian Brad Jersak says, the cross saves us because Christ unites himself to our fallen humanity and unites us to himself in his divine victory. This is one of the great and beautiful mysteries of the gospel. What does it mean for us? Well, it means a lot of things, um, none of which I intend to tell you right this minute. (laughs) And so I'm going to ask you to come back again to hear the rest of this series and to travel this road of the beautiful gospel and the series that will follow it, which is going to be called A Christ-Like God. Come back over the next several weeks and let's explore together how beautiful this story can get, how meaningful it can be that we get to identify with Christ because he has identified with us. But for now... Let it be enough for us to bask in the warmth of his love. He is the good shepherd who not only became like one of the sheep, but laid down his life for them, for us, for you and for me. That is glad tidings. That is good news. And that is a beautiful gospel. Amen. I want to invite you to come and participate in and proclaim that gospel. When you come to the table of the Lord, one of the things that you do is you proclaim his death until he returns. You do not need to be a member of our church. We have an open table here, which means that anybody who's seeking to follow Jesus faithfully on this day in this place, is welcome at this table. It is his table, not the church's table after all. 
And we practice intinction, which means you can come and take a piece of the bread and dip it in one of the glasses, one of the goblets of juice or wine. My prayer is that as you do this, this will be for you the body and blood of our Savior. That as you do it, you will receive it into your own body as food for your souls. And that as you do it, you will be reminded of his sacrifice, united with those around you in the act in the sacrament of communion. Our table is open. I invite you to come. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.